0: Alright folks, if we can start making our way to our seats, we will get started this morning. It's great to see everybody. Boy, you guys got quite quick. That's got to be a record. Well, good morning, good morning. It's great to see everybody during this Christmas season. I'd like to welcome all of those watching us online. We're glad you're able to join us. This morning, just got a few announcements before I call up our pastor to have a couple of announcements and then we'll have our Advent lighting of our peace candle this morning as we continue to celebrate the incarnation of Christ and coming to us. Um, we have a couple of Christmas things going on this week. I know the ladies met this last Friday, had a wonderful time, but this week we have a gathering this Wednesday night here at the church for everyone, six o'clock in the gym. Uh, we're going to do uh, this is our service project in Charlie Brown Christmas night. Uh, the kids will be there to make cards for the orphans and orphanage in Kenya that Emily Griffin's connected with. Uh, we would like to make some cards and send those over. Also, we're gonna be making goodie baskets with cookies and all kind of goodie goodies for the first responders and some st- teachers in our community. And uh, then we'll just fellowship, watch Charlie Brown Christmas, have some refreshments, and just enjoy a good time together and building community. Also, youth, teenagers, this Friday night, um, sorry, yes, Saturday, So I'm gonna say. Saturday night at 6 o'clock is our youth Christmas party. Um, all these details uh, for the Wednesday night and the youth party are on the website, on our news and events blog at gatewaybaptist.com, all the little details regarding all of that. So teenagers excited about that this Saturday at 6. And a very important gathering next uh, uh, Sunday after church, immediately following our service for all of our members is our annual member meeting Um, this year we're doing a little differently we're going to be providing a pizza lunch over in the gym uh, to provide an opportunity to connect and to be together and do it immediately after the service so we'll enjoy some fellowship over pizza then we'll have a time to come together as a congregation to cast some vision to uh, approve the budget for 2023 Um, we do ask for you to register so we can prepare accordingly to have enough food and you can do that online as well and uh We did send out the 2023 proposed budget already. So, if you're a member, you've received it already by email. If you didn't get it and you would like a hard copy, they're in the office. You can pick one up. And we just ask for you to look over that um, before the uh, gathering next Sunday so you're prepared with any questions and to know what the uh, leadership is proposing for 2023. All right, Pastor Grady, if you'll come up, has a couple of things he wants to announce. Well, good morning,
1: Gateway family. Before I introduce new members this morning, which is fun to do, I do want to um, just echo what CJ was saying. Next Sunday, for all our members, please, please, please come join us for the pizza lunch. We'd love for you to be here. To, it's where we as a congregation have congregational accountability over what happens here. So it's an important part of what we are as a church, and so I really just want to echo what CJ said. Please come. It's details online, Gateway Baptist. Com. So I get the joy this morning of introducing some of our new members to you. So Tim, Jordan, Talmage, Timmy and Laura, Bailey, Joe and Debbie, Ronnie and Sheila, you guys come on up here to the front. Stand across the front here so people can see you guys. make so, the price right, come on down, right? It's not a scary group, so... You get get the view I get every Sunday. So I want to introduce them to you, tell you a little bit about them so you can get to know them. So we'll start down here then. This is Tim Brown. Tim has five daughters, one son, and one beautiful granddaughter. He's always been an entrepreneur. He's been self-employed since he's been 22, and he just started a painting and home improvement company here in Montgomery. He enjoys watching the Georgia Bulldogs, so I guess there's a big smile on his face, right? right. He loves playing tennis. He loves spending time with his granddaughter, and when I ask all the new members to tell me something else about themselves, I'll read you what they wrote. Here's what he sent me. He said, I can say today that I'm so thankful the Lord led me to Fisher's Farm in Montgomery. I came here because my life was a complete mess. I lost everything I'd ever worked for, including my marriage, my children, my house, and my business. My addiction took me so far down, I didn't even know who I was anymore, but Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And we see God's grace all over you, Tim, and we're glad to welcome you into Gateway. Now, next to him, this is Joe and Debbie Petrakin. Now, this is a much belated welcoming as new members. Joe and Debbie joined and were previous new members, I think, the week COVID hit, And so they were caring for elderly parents, COVID hit, they were home for a season, faithfully worshiping from home, but they are back, and we are so thankful that they are back, and so let me tell you about them as well. They've been married for 52 years, so another round of applause for that one. They both grew up in Montgomery, they have three children, four grandchildren, and twin great-grandsons. Joe is an electrical contractor, runs his own business here in town. Debbie is retired and enjoys times with her grandkids, and they enjoy wood carving, and Joe loves blacksmithing as well. We're so glad to officially have you welcome two years later. Right here in the middle, this is Ronnie and Sheila Grayley. They have been married for 27 years. They have one son who's a sophomore at Auburn, so back in my previous neck of the woods. They moved here from Clearwater, Florida, so they could be closer to family, Ronnie's an IT consultant who specializes in Microsoft 365, and his work allows him to work anywhere, and we're thankful that God brought them to Montgomery for this. They love hospitality, bringing people together, sharing their home, living life together. They love parties, events, feeding people, traveling, and it's important for some of you young adults, they love playing board games. This is the game couple, so if you want to play board games, Gateway, this is your couple to connect with here. And they said they love the Lord and desire to live a life that glorifies and points others to Christ. And we see that in you guys. We're glad to welcome you guys as well. Right down here is Timmy and Lara Hand. They were both and their kids as well. This is TJ, who's eight, Roman, who's six, and Livy, who's one. They were both born and raised in Montgomery. They're celebrating their tenth wedding anniversary this upcoming year. Timmy works for Fisher's Farm, works alongside his brother Jeff in that. Laura's a preschool teacher at Taylor Road, Mother's Day Out. They love hanging out with family and friends. They love cornhole. CJ, another cornhole buddy here. And they love trying new restaurants. So if you want to get to know them, you've got an invitation right there. They want to try new restaurants in town as well. They just said, we're excited to be part of Gateway and look forward to meeting new people. So welcome to you guys as well next to them this is jordan butler jordan is the oldest child of nine in his family he's from a christian family in the dallas fort worth area he's in the air force he's a contracting officer over at gunner his job involves working on contracts for the acquisition of products and services for the air force he likes sports golf softball snowboarding martial arts camping working on vehicles and off-roading in his jeep he said most importantly he enjoys learning and growing in his walk with God. And he says he's especially excited to be part of Gateway Community and to grow alongside this Christian family. We're glad to welcome you, Jordan. (laughs) And the end down here is Talmadge Butts. He is engaged to Ashley. So if you know Ashley Ingersoll, he is engaged to her getting married in just about a month now, about five weeks or so. So we're coming up really soon on that. He grew up in Reform, Alabama. I never even heard of that town name until I met you, but he grew up in Reform, Alabama in Pickens County. He's raised by his dad, who's part of the time here in Montgomery, partly in Selma. Now he's an attorney. He works with the Foundation for Moral Law, where he works to defend religious liberty and the Constitution as designed by the founders. He loves anything outdoors, so another outdoors guy here. He loves buying and selling antiques, spending time with his family and friends, and says he's looking forward to getting to know everyone in the church. So we're glad to welcome you, Talmage. And back down on this end, this is Bailey Jackson down here. He's also an attorney, so we put the attorneys, not by design, on either end down here. I'm not sure what that's supposed to communicate here. But anyway, we got Bailey down. He's an attorney, and he's one of the founding partners of the Jackson and Scott law firm here in town. He also loves being outdoors. I'm hearing a theme here from several of these guys. He says he especially loves adventure sports like obstacle racing, motorcycle, and mountain biking, quote, anything that requires getting dirty or wearing a helmet, he's in. That He loves CrossFit with his friends. He says, I'm just grateful for Gateway, and I look forward to getting to know everyone. And we're glad to welcome you also, Bailey. So So thank you, guys. You can return back to your seats. And just want to remind all of you, membership at Gateway is a covenant. We're walking together, encouraging each other in the gospel and in pursuing Christ together. And so if you've been visiting and want to know more, visit our website, gatewaybaptist.com. Go to News and Events. Scroll past all the Christmas events. Because we have a four-week membership class in February called Foundations, and you can find all the details about that, and that is the required part of joining Gateways to do a four-week class taught by the elders to learn more about what we are about here. Well, it is Christmas season, and it is the Advent season, and as we kick off the service each week, we're having an Advent scripture reading, and one of our deacons has been doing that each week, so I want to introduce to you Kyle Watley and his wife Kayla and their kids. They're going to come do our Advent reading this week to, to focus our minds on the Lord as we begin. be
2: reading from isaiah chapter 9 6 and 7 for us for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it With justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. stand. We're going to begin
3: our songs. Uh, we're going to begin our service this morning with a song that is really familiar to many of us. And I just want to encourage us this morning. Many of us sing this song in church before we knew Jesus. Uh, and and uh, I want to just encourage us this morning that we come here not as people uh, celebrating Christmas, but as Christians uh, praising and worshiping
0: Jesus. Amen.
3: Yeah, so The band has 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 told me. Tell them about 80% of the version they know, and it's a little different.
2: God, we have just sung continuously of the gospel, continuously of your redeeming love. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, "The righteous shall live by faith. And having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we declare the gospel today. We declare the good news of the coming of Christ. Lord, your incarnation that we celebrate. Lord, your journey to the cross. Lord, your journey to Calvary where you laid down your life for our sin. And Lord, we've just sung of the forgiveness of sin. We've cried out for your mercy, Lord. And you've been faithful, Lord. You've been merciful to us. You've been gracious to us, Lord. Lord, our hearts are full this morning as we exalt you, we exalt Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, that one day that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God. And Lord, we thank you that Because of the gospel, Lord, we've been brought near, Lord, that we can enter into your throne room, Lord, and to to submit to you our needs and our supplications. And Lord, we just are so grateful here at Gateway for the many ministries uh, Lord, the many ways that people are serving. Lord, we thank you for Seth and Megan and their heart for the college students. Lord, we pray for these college students, Lord, that you would meet them where they are. Lord, I know you always meet us where we are, but you never leave us there, Lord. You are a life-changing, transforming God who gives us a new heart. And I pray, Lord, that hearts would be being renewed, that lives would be being changed. And I pray, Lord, for your encouragement, Lord, for Seth and Megan. Lord, I pray over them that your Holy Spirit would empower them, Lord, and give them great joy uh, in the journey. Lord, we thank you for Foe Smart and, Lord, his ministry to the guys of safety net lord just his heart over the years or just to spend time with those guys lord to give of his time and in his life thank you for my brother and just pray your encouragement to him and just pray lord particularly during this christmas season that these guys lives would be blessed and lord we thank you for the khmer people group in western cambodia and lord we just pray for the christians that are in their villages lord as they share the gospel lord that There would be new life. There would be believers, people coming to Christ, Lord. We just ask, particularly this time of year, Lord, as they preach the gospel during Christmas season, Lord, that many would come to know you. Lord, we're so grateful to you as a church for your blessing, Lord, to us. Even in the midst of times when, Lord, we've been struggling, people have struggled economically, Lord, you've always blessed our church, Lord. It's been a very generous uh, people, Lord, and we thank you for your provision in every way. We don't take that for granted. And each of us acknowledges, Lord, it doesn't come from us. It comes from your hand. And we just say thank you. And Lord, we also say thank you for the gifted teachers you've given us here at Gateway. And particularly, we say thank you for Grady, Lord, as he comes each week faithfully declaring your word. Lord, knowing that your word, Lord, does never goes out without coming back for its purpose, Lord. I pray today mostly that you would actually uh, touch our hearts, Lord, our eyes and our ears, Lord, so that we can receive the word that Grady will share. And I pray my brother would be encouraged as he shares the word today. Lord, thank you for our time together, Lord. We don't take it for granted, the gift of this fellowship. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And
1: first to fourth graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth grade, you go a kids' worship with Mr. Tom this morning and Ms. Jennifer. While the kids are on their way to kids' worship, you go find 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3. Yes, we are beginning a new chapter in our journey through 1 Peter, but it's a continuation of the same thought. Peter has been showing us as believers how to live as elect exiles in the world, how we live as God's chosen people in a world that does not understand us. He's been showing us in recent weeks how we relate to the government, how we relate to authorities over us. And now as we begin chapter 3, he turns his focus to how we live as God's people in the covenant relationship of marriage. Now if you think about the big picture of the book, we've seen it many times from chapter 5, that Peter wrote this to help us stand firm in the grace of God. So now he turns his attention to what does it look like as believers, as God's chosen people to stand firm in the grace of God in the relationship of marriage. Now to answer that question, we're going to begin today in the first several verses of chapter 3. Peter's going to show us the role of the wife. How does a wife stand firm in God's grace and marriage? And then next week, we'll see how a husband stands firm in God's grace and marriage. Now, before we jump into that, I need to remind us of the purpose of marriage, because this is so important to understanding what Peter is saying here. You see, friends, one of the great lies of our culture is that marriage exists for our happiness, that marriage exists for our self-fulfillment, that marriage exists so we have this feeling of love. And, friends, that is not the primary purpose of marriage. God made marriage for a specific reason and it wasn't so I would be happy and self-fulfilled and feel love. God made it for a specific purpose and we find what it is in Ephesians chapter five verses 31 and 32. So in Ephesians chapter five, verse 31, here's why God made marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, this mystery of marriage. And I'm saying it refers to Christ And the church. Now, this truth is so foundational to what we're going to look at today and next week. Because God made marriage to show us a picture of Christ in the church. That means marriage itself and our specific roles within marriage are not arbitrary. They were designed by God for a reason to paint this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And so, as we look at the roles of husbands and wives in marriage over these next two weeks, we need to keep that in view. That marriage exists to portray the gospel. Marriage exists to help us understand Christ and his church. With that in view, we come today to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're gonna look at these verses about the role of the wife in marriage. Now, for those who are not wives, this is not a chance to check on that. Like, Great, I get to take a nap today because this is not relevant to me. This text is really for all of us. There's many stages of life reflected in this room right now. And so for the married women, Yes, this text has great, great relevance for you today because this is God's explicit will for your life. But for the women who are not yet married, this text is very relevant for you because this is the heart attitude you should be cultivating now. You don't flip a switch when you get married and all of a sudden start becoming a certain type of person. This is what you want to cultivate now. But for the older ladies in the church, this is for you as well because you have a calling to disciple the younger women and point them to God's will for their life. But lest the men think, okay, this is a nap time, I get to think about the sports games or whatever else, say, this is for you as well. Because married men, you have a responsibility for leading your wife, and we'll come to that next week. And you need to understand God's will for her if you're going to lead her well and affirm her and encourage her and build her up in her God-given roles. For the men not yet married in the room, for many of our single young adults, what God says is precious is what should be precious to us as well. Is this what you are looking for as you pursue marriage? To the parents in the room, you are shaping your kids to value certain things. Is this what you're shaping your daughters to value? Is this what you're shaping your young men to appreciate as they pursue a family of their own in the future? And for everyone, we have a calling to live in community. We need to be praying for one another. And this is a model for us of how to pray for the married women that we know in the church. So this is for all of us, friends. With that in view, as we come today to chapter three, we're going to look at verses one to six. Yes, that may be a record for us. And. First Peter. We're going to do six verses this morning, but they all tie together on the role of the wife in marriage. But as we read these six verses this morning, I want you to be looking for what does God call married women to be like? What is God's call on married women? There's three key descriptions that we're going to unpack this morning in here, but be looking for those as we read God's word this morning. So I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen. But First Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6. to six. What is For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to devise our own path of our lives, to devise what our roles are, to devise how we're to live. You've made it so clear for us in your word, and we thank you for that. So I pray for all of us you give us teachable hearts today to understand your word. Lord, we pray today that you would use your word this week and next week to strengthen the families of this church, to strengthen the singles as they look towards the future, to strengthen the adults as they disciple the younger generation, to strengthen this whole body of Christ as we submit ourselves to your word and to your will. So have your way, grow us, shape us, and mold us to conform us more to the image of Christ we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. For this is why we preach through books of the Bible, because this is probably not the text most of us run to during the Advent season. But we trust this is what God has for us as we dig into living as God's elect exiles. Now, as we dig into this text, I want you to hear some wise words from Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp is a biblical counselor. We have a lot of his books in the Resource Center. But I want you to hear this, because this frames where we're going this morning. Paul Tripp says, This passage cannot be reduced to a who's-in-charge passage. Because it's so much more than that. What this passage is, is God's plan for the character of a wife's heart. And I thought that's so good. This passage is not about who's in charge. This passage is about the character of the heart of the wife. And that's how we want to focus in on this this morning. We start with the inside, with the character of the heart of the wife, and work out to how she responds to others in light of that. So what does God call married woman, women to be like? Three things. Number one, the foundation is God calls her to hope in him. At the foundation of this text, God is calling the married women to hope in him. The foundation of a wife's role in marriage is hope in God. Not hope in her husband, not hope in her circumstances, not hope in riches, not hope in her appearance, not hope in her work, not hope in everything turning out right. Her hope is to be in God. I think the most important phrase of this whole passage is the one that probably is skipped over the most. I don't think I've ever heard it taught or even mentioned in a lot of these notes and commentaries and writings about this, but it's in verse 5. Look at verse 5. We're going to unpack some of the other expressions later, but notice the beginning. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. I think this is the key of this text here. This is about how holy women, women who are set apart to God, how they hope in God. So what does it mean to hope in God? Let me just remind you from what we saw back in chapter 1. Hope is a confident Expectation. When you look at hope in Scripture, it's not, oh, I think maybe things will get better. Hope in Scripture is confidence. And what is the wife to be confident in? Verse five, she's to be confident in God. That means she's to be confident in God's character, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. She's to be confident that God will always do what is right. He has the power to do it. She's to be confident in the promises of God, that God will always do what He's promised to do, and she can cling to those promises even if life is hard. It also means she's confident in God's presence, that he is with her with whatever she's walking through. She's confident in God in his character and his promises and in his presence. And that's so important here because that means her hope is not dependent on her husband being perfect. Her hope is not dependent on her husband always doing things right. Her hope is not dependent on her children turning out right. Her hope is not dependent on people around her thinking, oh, wow, she's amazing. Her hope is not dependent on circumstances. Her hope is dependent on God and God alone. In fact, hope can be present even when those other things are lacking. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6 is one of the beautiful texts we run to on hope often. But notice the context of it. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? The sons of Korah who wrote this text obviously were in a place of lament and a place of despair. Life wasn't happy. Everything wasn't perfect. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. That even when circumstances are falling apart, we can still hope in God. Even if your husband is not what he's supposed to be, you can hope in God. Even if your children are not doing what they're supposed to do, you can still hope in God. Your hope is not dependent on your circumstances. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and look back at verse 6 here. Notice what this hope produces. It says, and again, we'll come back to some of these strange expressions, so don't get hung up on them here. Is Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, we're coming back to that, don't worry, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That is you hoping God as a wife, you have no fear. Your hope in God drives out fear. Why? Well, someone wrote it this week as I was reading and it said it so well. Women who hope in God are women who look away from the troubles and miseries and obstacles of life that seem to make the future bleak. And they focus their attention on the sovereign power and love of God who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. So a woman who hopes in God is a fearless woman. In fact, if some of you are familiar with Proverbs 31, this beautiful picture of a godly woman, Proverbs 31, verse 25. This is a fun description of it. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. A lot of translations say she laughs at the future. How can a woman smile at the future or laugh at the future? because her hope is not determined by the future turning out the way she wants. Her hope is in the fact that God will keep his promises, that God is with her and God is good and God is sovereign. So go back to verse five of our text. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Wives, God's plan for you first and foremost is to know him and to hope in him, to be anchored in his character, to be anchored in his promises, to be anchored in his presence with you. That is your greatest priority and that only comes as you pursue Christ, as you spend time in his word, as you spend time in prayer, as you are in community where people challenge you in your walk with Christ. That is your foundation of all you're called to be as a wife, to hope in God. There's a second thing that comes, a second calling you have that flows from your hope in God. And the second part of your calling is God is calling you to pursue having a gentle spirit. God is calling you to pursue having a gentle spirit. Look at verses three and four of our text today. And notice the contrast here. Verse three is the put off, what you're not to have. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. He's telling you what not to pursue. Now, it does not mean you cannot have these things. If that was true, then he'd be telling you you can't have clothes. And that's clearly not what this text is saying. So this is not saying you cannot have braids or you cannot have jewelry or you cannot have clothing. He's focusing here on this word adorning. Verse three, do not let your adorning be on these things. Now, what does it mean to adorn? And sorry, I just realized, I think it's the different translation up there than I'm reading out of. So you listen to what I'm reading. It may be confusing what's up there. I'm reading out the ESV. What you're told here is to not let your adorning be external. To adorn something is efforts you make to make something more beautiful. So over the last two weeks, a lot of you have adorned your Christmas trees, right? You took a pretty tree, but you've made it more beautiful. You spent effort on it. We spent hours stringing up 1970s bubble lights on our tree, right? We put effort putting ornaments on trees. You adorn your tree. You take effort to make things look more attractive. Peter's talking about how people do that to themselves here, that you are to have your adorning, your efforts, and some people put their efforts in external things here. So he's saying it's not that you can't have these things, But he's saying, don't let your adorning, your efforts to be beautiful, be based on these things. What were those things? For some people, it's making their hair look a certain way. For others, it was the jewelry they wore or the clothing they wore. But in our time, it can be other things besides that. Some people adorn themselves by the vacations they take, by the way they want their houses to look, or where they live, or how they portray themselves on social media, or what type of work that they do. People can pursue their adornment in many, many things. And the calling here is don't put your efforts, don't put your identity, don't put your joy, your self identity in these external things that fade. Your hope is not in your husband thinking you look more attractive. Your hope is not your friends thinking, oh man, I wish I'd go on trips like her. Your hope is not your neighbors going, oh, she's got the most beautiful house in the neighborhood. That's not what we're to pursue to feel more secure. That's not what we're to pursue to feel more beautiful. External things are not to be our effort. So what is Peter calling wives to pursue instead? That's verse 4 here. In verse 4 he says, but, here's the contrast, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Remember, adorning is pursuing effort, so let your efforts be, let your pursuit be the hidden person of the heart. Let your efforts be towards your character, not towards externals. Let your Pursuits be towards who you are on the inside. This is a call to pursue growing and godliness. And as you seek God's grace to change you and grow you on the inside, the results are imperishable. You can buy all the perfect jewelry, and it can get lost or stolen. You get your hair fixed, and it'll come undone by the next day. You have the perfect house and a fire can burn it down. Everything that we pursue externally to find identity, to find joy, to find beauty, those can all fade. But he's saying when you pursue spiritual growth and godliness, this, you have an imperishable beauty, things that cannot be taken from you and that will carry you with you throughout life and throughout all eternity. And what particularly are you to be growing in, wise? What particularly are you being called to do? Well, there's a lot that we see in Scripture, but Peter hones in on one character attribute here you see it back here in verse four, is to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. A gentle and a quiet spirit. Now, what does it mean when it says quiet? It does not mean you're not allowed to talk. That's not what this is talking about here. Quiet is being used as a synonym for gentle. These are going hand in hand to paint a picture for us of the character of a wife. Gentle and quiet together means you're not insistent on your own way. You're not pushy. You're not selfishly, assertive. You're not a demanding person. You're not quarrelsome. You're not argumentative. That's what it means to be gentle and quiet. Not insistent, not pushing. not self-assertive, not demanding, not quarrelsome, not argumentative. In other words, you're being called by God to be like Christ. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29. It actually uses the exact same word that we see here for gentle in 1 Peter 3. Jesus says, "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart.'" and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. And the exact same Greek word for gentle that Jesus uses is what Peter now holds up, wives, for you to be cultivating in your heart this imperishable beauty of having a gentle spirit to have the nature of Christ. If you think about Christ having a gentle spirit, did not mean he was silent. Did not mean he was reticent to speak what needed to be spoken. Jesus spoke a lot, but no, he was not selfish. He was not demanding. He was not pushy. He was not argumentative. He spoke the hard things when he needed to speak them, but he did so in love. And that's what, wives, you're being called to do is to be like Christ. And notice something here in verse 4. Don't miss this. It says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. God views this as precious when you cultivate inner beauty instead of focusing on just on outward beauty when you focus on having a gentle spirit to pursue being like christ this is precious to god it's precious to your creator and precious to your redeemer so why is what is your calling first and foremost to hope in god from that hope you grow in christ likeness especially gentleness in how you relate to others Now, I came across a quote this week. I actually want to put it on the screen for you because I want you to see this about your hope in God and how this goes together. This was just rich and good. This author said, when you have put your hope in God, his sovereignty takes away the pride in your heart and his love takes away the fear in your heart and what's left in your heart is gentleness. I just thought that was rich and good as you see how this is coming together as God's talking about the character of a wife here. As you have your hope in God and believe God is sovereign over all things, even over the trials you're walking through, that begins to break away and chip away that pride we have in our heart. And as we focus on the character of God and his love for us and know that he's walking with us, even the trials, God used that to take away the fear in our heart. And what is left is the place for the Holy Spirit to cultivate within us gentleness. So wise, as you hope in God, as you trust in his sovereignty and trust in his love, he creates in you gentleness. But that's not all that changes. As his word shapes your character, as you become more gentle, that changes how you relate to others. It'll change how you relate to people at work. It'll change how you relate to your kids and it will change how you relate to your husband. When the hidden person the heart changes, it will impact how you relate to your husband. And that's exactly where Peter goes next. He hones in on how it changes the closest relationship you have in this world, how, it relate, how you relate to your husband. So your third calling, God's already called you to hope in him. God's called you to cultivate, to pursue a gentle spirit. Number three, God calls you to follow your husband's lead. God is calling you wives to follow your husband's lead. Go back to verse one here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Here it is at the beginning. Wives, be subject. Some translations say submit to your husbands. This is the exact same word we saw throughout chapter two. Submit to the governing authority. Servants, submit to your masters. This is the exact same word now repeated here in the marriage relationship. What does it mean to submit We've defined it several times on the way, but submit means to give honor and obedience to those God has placed in authority. You're honoring and you're following, you're obeying those God has placed in authority. And in the home, God has called the husband to be the leader of the home. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord for, here's the reason for it. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself, it's Savior. That means a wife's role is to respond to her husband's Christ-like leadership, to honor the position God has put her husband in, in leading the family, to follow his lead as he follows Christ, and to encourage him to step into that role for the family. So go back to verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. What then is this subjection or submission? I love how Paul Tripp, again, summarizes this. Paul Tripp says, submission is a willingness to be persuaded, I never heard it defined that way before, but I liked his definition. It's a willingness to be persuaded. He says it means I don't have to always have my own way. I don't always have to be in charge. I'm willing to be persuaded by the leadership of another. John Piper emphasizes a different part of submission. He says it's the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. So Tripp says it's a willingness to be persuaded. Piper says it's a calling to honor and affirm the husband's leadership And carry it through with her own gifting. So if you bring those together, willing to be persuaded, honor and affirming the husband's leadership, in a lot of ways it's really just an overflow of a gentle spirit, isn't it? If gentleness is not insisting on your own way, not being pushy, not being selfishly assertive, not demanding, not being argumentative, this call to be subject to your husband or submit to your husbands is really just the overflow of a gentle spirit, wanting to honor and affirm the husband's leadership, wanting to be at a place to not always have to have your own way but to be Persuaded. Now, friends, the reality is this verse has been abused. This verse has been misapplied in so many ways. So I want to give you several different clarifications about this word submission here to make sure we don't misunderstand it. And these are all important. Number one, submission is a voluntary choice. Submission is a voluntary choice. If you think back to what we saw in chapter two with the government, we are living as a free people. We're not bound, we don't belong to any government, but because we're a free people, because we belong to Christ, we saw related to government, we can now choose to submit to the governing authorities and things that are not sinful. That's the same idea, idea here. The wife belongs to God. She is a child of God. She belongs to him. But she can now, being free in Christ, she can now defer to her husband's leadership because she belongs to God. That's what we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We saw it a minute ago, but I want to go back there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. When a wife chooses to defer to her husband's leadership, she's ultimately submitting to Christ. She's ultimately worshiping Christ. She's choosing to submit because she loves God. Now, word to the husbands here. A lot more is coming to you next week, don't worry. But for right now, this means you cannot demand submission of your wife. Husbands, if you're telling your wife, I'm in charge, you have to submit, you're missing the point of these verses here. This, your job is to love like Christ and to lead like Christ. We'll come to that next week one of the most convicting things I read as a husband this last week is said, if husbands love their wives like they should, like Christ, this text would never have been controversial. Husbands, if we would love our wives like Christ loves the church, this whole issue of submitting to your husbands would not be controversial at all. The problem is many men who claim to be Christians do not love like Christ and then demand and yell at home, you submit, I'm in charge. That's not what this text is about. Submission is a voluntary choice as an act of worship to God. Number two. Submission never follows into sin. Submission never follows into sin. We've seen this with authorities, with the government in recent weeks, but you never submit if it calls you to sin, if it calls you to commit idolatry, if it suppresses the gospel, if it violates any part of God's word, you do not follow your husband and wives into sinful things. Number three, submission shows respect even if you have to challenge or question. Wives, submission does not mean you're silent. There are times that if your husband is sinning, or acting in folly, you have a biblical God-given role to speak the truth in love to him. The command in Ephesians to speak the truth in love does not go away when you say I do at the altar, but it means you do so with much respect. We get a glimpse of this in verse six here in what seems like a strange phrase at first, but go back to verse six. It holds up this example, the holy women of old as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Okay, what in the world is that about with Sarah calling Abraham Lord? Well, you need to realize at the time that Lord was a term of respect. So here is Sarah, who's held up in Hebrews 11 as a model of faith force. She's held up here as a model of a godly wife submitting to her husband. She's being held up as a picture of faith force. But if you go back and read the Old Testament accounts, Sarah was far from a quiet, passive doormat. She was willing to get in Abraham's face when she needed to get in Abraham's face and probably held her tongue at times she might should have gotten in Abraham's face as well. But What's being held up here is that she, there were failings of this, but as a whole, she tried to respect him. This particular quote, when did she call him Lord? This actually comes from a fascinating account back in Genesis. The one place in the Old Testament that you see her calling him Lord is in Genesis chapter 18, which you see this in verses 10 through 12. This is the place that Peter is quoting. It's probably not the count you would think it would be. This is when God appears to Abraham, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now remember, she's almost 100 years old here. Like, this is biologically impossible here. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. There's the understatement of this text, advanced in years. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. Now, here we go, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So of all things where Peter quotes, you hear Sarah calling her husband Lord. She's not even saying it to his face. This is her heart attitude that he's highlighting here in a place where she thinks this is impossible, in a place she thinks this is ridiculous, in her heart she's still showing respect to her husband. Do you know how easy it would have been for her to have a lot of put downs in her heart at this point? This angel thinks, I'm about to have a baby. Do you know how how old my old man, that geezer, is over there? I mean, you can fill in the blank, whatever old term or derogatory term she could use. She doesn't. In the moment of her struggling with doubt here, she still respects her husband. Even in her heart to refer to him as Lord, it's a term of respect here. So she speaks respectfully. She thinks respectfully about her husband. So submission includes a respectful attitude towards the husband. Number four here, submission in no way implies inferiority. Our culture loves to take and turn this on against us. This is not What it's about, submission has nothing to do with inferiority. In fact, verse seven, we're gonna come to next week. Wives are held up, verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We'll talk about that next week. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This was unheard of in the culture at the time, that women were held up along men as being equally loved by God, equally made in the image of God, and equally having access to salvation. Peter raises the status of women when he addresses this. And so when he's calling wives to follow their husband's lead, he's not in any way saying women are inferior. They're equal in worth before God. They're equal in being image bearers of God. They're equally loved by God. They equally have salvation. But in God's good plan, he has different roles, complementary roles for them. So submission is not inferiority. Number five. Submission is specific to the husband-wife relationship. Submission is specific to the husband-wife relationship. Go back to verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband's. Notice the word own there. This is about the home, not the broader society. We cannot export the pattern of the home to the culture. The home relationship of husband and wife is supposed to image Christ and the church. This is not about employer-employee relationship. This is not about work, school, societal things. This is about the covenant of marriage. So submission is not to be exported to the broader culture. This is about the home relationship. Number six, submission has nothing to do with cultural roles. What do I mean by that? Submission has nothing to do with who takes out the trash, who pays the bills, who cooks, who cleans, who drives, who talks first, or how much each person walks Outside the home. Submission is not about trying to get to a 1950s black and white father's knows best or Andy Griffith community, okay? You can still spiritually lead your family and still cook dinner for your family, men, Wives, you can still submit and take care of the the family's finances. You and your family have to look at your giftings and what God has called you to do. It's not about these cultural roles. It has to do with following your husband's leadership as y'all work together to what best serves your family. But number seven and lastly, Submission does not require your husband to be perfect for you to submit. Submission does not require for your husband to be perfect to submit. No, you do not follow him into sin ever. But you do not have to be like, oh man, he's got some problems, so I'm not going to follow him. We all have problems. We all need the grace of God. And so you do not wait for perfection to submit. Go back to verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, the word here means the gospel. He says he's addressing some wives whose husbands are not believers and reject the gospel. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So if Peter can tell ladies who were married to non-believers who reject the gospel, still follow your husbands in all things non sinful how much more so for those who have husbands who love the Lord. So bring all that together. What then is submission? Another author I read said it's a disposition. Remember, this is a hard attitude. It's a disposition to follow a husband's lead and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's a disposition that you want to follow your husband's lead. This author said it so well. He writes, it's the wife saying, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. It's, this, it's the attitude of I do not flourish when you're passive. And some men, you need to hear that here. You, the wife is saying in the world of submission, I do not flourish, husband, if you're passive and I have to make the family work. The attitude of Christian submission says, it grieves me when you venture into sin and want to take me with you. You know I cannot do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead, but I cannot follow you into sin as much as I love to honor your leadership in marriage. Christ is my king. And that's exactly what Peter's showing us. A godly wife hopes in God. From that confidence, she focuses on inward growth and gentleness, and that transforms how she relates to her husband, desiring for him to lead and following him as much as she can. That raises a big question for us. Why does God call women to live this way? Why is this God's calling on wives? Think back to our picture of marriage. It's a picture of Christ and the church. God is calling you to hope in him. God is calling your wives to be gentle. God is calling you to follow your husband because God wants your husband to better understand the relationship of Christ and the church. He's calling you to do this because he wants your children to understand the relationship of Christ and the church. He wants your believing friends to see a picture of Christ and the church. He wants your lost friends to see the gospel on display as they watch your attitude in your actions. So go back to verses one and two. Likewise, wise, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, if they're not believers yet, they may be one, they may become believers without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. So women who are in that situation where your husband is not a believer, don't lose hope. Pray for your husband, love your husband and seek to have the gospel lived out through you. But friends, for those of you who have believing husbands, how much more so can you, through your gentleness and you, through your desire for him to lead, through you, through having the hope of God in you, how much more so can you encourage him and your family and your friends in the gospel with how you, how you live? Let's bring all that together. Here's the challenge for you, wives. Wives, your attitude and actions towards your husband have potential to demonstrate the gospel to your family and to those around you. You have an incredible God-given mission in your role in the family. As one created by God, an image bearer of God, loved by God. God is calling you to have attitudes and actions specifically here towards your husband that will demonstrate the gospel to your family and to those around you. God's calling you to have an attitude of hoping in him One who finds your hope in knowing God and hoping in his character, hoping in his promises, hoping in his presence. And because I hope a woman who has gentleness to treating others the way Christ would and having a Christ-like attitude in your relationships. He wants you to have actions where you desire to support your husband's leadership, where you desire to follow his lead. And as you have those attitudes and actions, it paints a picture for your kids who are watching. It paints a picture for your friends and your family members and your neighbors and the people you work with of how the church responds to Christ and it challenges them of how they are to respond to Christ. In other words, your life has a great mission. You have a great apologetic for the faith and that is in how you relate to your husband. Let me remind you ladies of how God views your calling. Remember in our text it said it was a holy calling. You're set apart. this is God's good will for you. We saw in our text it is precious to God. I don't pretend this is easy. I know this is not how your flesh wants to respond. This is not what the world models, but in God's sight, it is holy. And in God's sight, it is precious. And in God's plan, it has the potential to advance the gospel in your home, your neighborhood, and to people around you. So as we close, first of all, a quick word to the husbands. A lot more is coming next week, don't worry. But if this is God's calling on your your wife, is this what you are praying for her about? This is not a natural calling, This is not what women naturally in their flesh wake up in the morning and go, this is what I wanna be like. Are you praying for God's grace to be transforming your wife to create these virtues in her heart? And men, are you encouraging your wife in these things? When you see her growing in Christ-like character, when you see her demonstrating gentleness towards you and the kids and others around, when you see her encouraging you, are you encouraging her back? To our single friends who desire to be married, is this what you are prioritizing and seeing as precious and most valuable. This is not what the world tells young ladies to be like. This is not what the world tells young men to pursue and to be looking for. It's just what you are seeing as holy and precious. And to the wives, don't lose sight of the mission God has given you for the gospel to go forth through your attitude and actions towards your husband. And ask God this week for much grace to grow in that role. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word gives us so much instruction of how we're to live, but even more, your word shows us your character and your nature and our calling to be like Christ. And Lord, we pray for all of us this week that, Lord, we would all be conformed more to the image of Christ. You give all of us a growth this week in treating others the way that Christ would treat them, of speaking the truth in love and being gentle and lowly and being humble in the way Christ was humble. I pray you grow us and all of us in these virtues this week. But Lord, as we look at these verses today and we specifically see the calling on wives, I pray this week for much grace for all the wives of Gateway. The word that you would encourage them today. Lord, we know that there are wives here at Gateway whose husbands are not believers. And Lord, I pray they would not lose heart in their calling to portray the gospel to their husbands. I pray the truth of these verses would give them hope to press on and letting the gospel change them and to be pointing their husbands in the way they live towards you. Lord, for the families where the husbands and wives are both believers, we pray that you would encourage the wives in their roles, in the roles of keeping the gospel before their family through their own attitudes and actions. Lord, we know there's many homes here at Gateway where their husbands and wives are both believers, and we're thankful for that, yet we know there's children who are not. So I pray through the way that the husbands lead like Christ and the way that the wives respond to their husbands, that the children would see a beautiful picture of Christ in the church and would long to know more about it. And Lord, for all of us this week, Lord, we confess we need grace. We can't manufacture these type of heart attitudes on our own. We can't create these type of heart desires to know you or to walk with you, but only you can. And so Lord, I pray this week that you would give all of us grace to be conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, that we might live for you and bring glory to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand we sing our closing song? Was to focus this morning as we end on God's great, great love for us and be reminded everyone of God's character be reminded of his promises and be reminded of his presence with you as we celebrate the Father's love for us. do pray what we've just sung will be our confidence and our hope this week. Knowing that your wounds, Lord Jesus, have paid our ransom. Knowing that we belong to you. Knowing that we are loved by God. Lord, do you know how quickly we try to find our identity and being loved in so many things besides being loved by you. So, Lord, we just confess that to sin to you this morning and ask for much grace this week to rest in the fact that we are loved by God and held by him. And I pray because of all these things in the world that so distract us would we'll grow strangely dim to us this week knowing that we are being held by you. And I pray we'd worship you in response all week long because we know we're your children and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday.